Dragon Slayer Audio. Good evening. This is Bill Oberst Jr. Welcome to the Moonlit Library. Hora suplex etoclinis. Cor contritum quasi sinis. Gere curam. Gere curam nobis finis. I am bowed. My heart is crushed to ashes. Help me. Help us all to the end. That's from the 12th century, from the DSA. And thus, we know there is nothing new under the sun. Hmm? Come in, sit down in that big overstuffed chair there by the east wall window. Have some wine, relax. Breathe in the Egyptian dust of these old books. And let the moonlight bathe you. And tell me how you are. I mean, really, how you are. How you doing? How are you making it in these shadow times? I wonder, is it like when you were a kid and you had to get up in the middle of the night, but you knew that if you swung your feet to the floor too carelessly, the monsters under the bed would grab your ankles and pull you right under? So you put your feet down very carefully and tiptoe everywhere you go because there's monsters in the closet too. Is it like that for you right now? Me too. Although, maybe, just maybe, the monsters are afraid of us too. Hmm? I mean, think of them. All those poor monsters cowering under the bed just praying that our big, careless feet don't swing down with no warning at all and crush them. My sympathies have always been with the monsters, especially the wounded monsters. You know them. Like the creature Victor Frankenstein made, we heard his voice last time you were here. Like Richard III, as sifted through the soul of Shakespeare. 
I that am not made to court an amorous looking glass, I that am rudely stamped, cheated of feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world scarce half made up, and so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them to spy my shadow in the sun and descant on my deformity. And therefore... Since I cannot prove a lover, I am determined to prove a villain. And tonight's wounded monster, who was my favorite as a boy, and I think still is. So close your tabs, dim your lights, lie down now. Day is done. Embrace the night. And I'll read to you for a while, just till you're drowsy, from The Phantom of the Opera, with a couple of selections adapted from my personal translation of Gaston Leroux's 1910 text. Christine Dei is speaking to Raoul. She has a strange story to tell. Christine says, When I opened my eyes, surrounded by darkness, I was lying with my head on the knees of a man in a mask, bathing my temples. His hands smelled of death. I tried to push them away. Who are you? But his only answer was a sigh. A hot breath passed over my face. I calculated that we must have been underground. I had once been down into those immense cellars, but I had stopped at the third floor. There were two floors, lower still, large enough to hold a town. Yes, 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 but tell me what happened, Christine. The man jumped into the boat. We were on a vast lake whose leaden waters stretched into the dark distance. He moved with a quick, powerful stroke. His eyes under the mask never left me. We slipped across the noiseless water in a blue light. Then we reached shore, and I was once more taken into the man's arms. I was dazed by the light, a a dazzling light. I was in the middle of a room that seemed to be furnished with nothing but flowers. In the midst of all these flowers, these ridiculous flowers, stood the man in the mask. And he said, Be not afraid. You are in no danger. My anger flashed. I rushed at the man, but he took me by the wrist and forced me into a chair and went down on his knees before me. A terrible, eccentric creature in a room full of flowers, five stories below the level of the ground in the center of the earth, went down on his knees before me and said, I 
am Eric. I overwhelmed him with abuse, and I demanded he take off his mask if it covered the face of an honest man, and he only said, very serenely, You shall never see Eric's face. He spread food and drink before me, pointed down. I was greatly perturbed, but I ate a few prawns, drank half a glass of toki, which he had himself, he told me, brought from the Konzenberg cellars. He did not eat or drink. I asked him if the name of Eric did not point to a Scandinavian origin. He said that he had no name, no country, and that he had taken the name of Eric by accident. He rose and gave me the tips of his fingers, saying he would like to show me round his flat, but I snatched my hand away with a cry. What I touched was cold, bony, dead. Forgive me, he said, and opened a door before me. This is my bedroom. If you care to see it, he said, it is rather curious. My God, you did not go in. I did. I went in without hesitation. I felt no fear. It was as though I was entering the room of a dead person, someone no longer there. In the middle of the room hung a canopy of red brocade, and under the canopy an open coffin that he said, is where I sleep. One must get used to everything in life, even eternity. I noticed that there was no mirror. The walls were hung with black, but instead of the white trimmings that usually set off funeral upholstery, there was an enormous stave of music with the dies ere repeated many times over, my eyes fell upon the confutatis, maledictis, flamis, acribus, addictis. It upset me so much that I turned away my head and closed my eyes, so that I did not see, but only heard him softly sing, moan. Foca, foca me. Foca me cum pinetictis. Foca, foca me cum I saw the keyboard of an organ which filled one whole side of the wall. On it was a music book covered with red notes. It read, Don Juan Triumphant. He said, I began that work twenty years ago. When I have finished, I shall take it away with me in that coffin and never wake up again. Sometimes I work on it for fourteen days and nights together, during which I live on music only, and then I rest for years at a time. Will you, I said, will, will you play me something out of your Don Juan triumphant? I asked this hoping to please him, but the effect was quite the opposite. 
You must never ask me that, he said. I will play you Mozart, if you like, which will only make you weep. But my Don Juan burns, my dear, and the fire is not from heaven. Some music consumes all those who approach it, and you must not come near such music, nor my mask, Christine. If you did either, you would lose all your pretty coloring, and nobody would know you at all when you return to Paris. Let us sing something from the opera. He spoke the words from the opera as though he were flinging an insult at me, and we at once began the duet from Othello. Already the catastrophe was upon us. I sang Desdemonia with a despair, a terror that I have never felt in my voice before. As for him, his voice thundered forth his revengeful soul and every note, love, jealousy, hatred burst out around us in harrowing cries. He was Othello himself. Suddenly, I felt a need to see beneath the mask I must know the face of that voice. And with a movement which I was utterly unable to control, my fingers tore away the mask. If I live to be a hundred, I shall always hear the supernatural cry of grief and rage he uttered, Raoul. You have seen death's heads when they have been dried and withered for centuries, hmm? but those death's heads were not alive. Imagine, if you can, red death's mask come to life with four black holes for eyes, nose, mouth, the extreme anger, the, the mighty fury of a demon, and not a ray of light from the sockets. For you cannot see his blazing eyes except in the dark. He dragged me by my hair. He, he hissed at me. I frighten you? <laughs> Perhaps you think I have another mask, eh? Perhaps you think that this is a mask, too. Well, tear it off, my dear. Tear it off as you did the other. I insist. Give me your hands. The monster seized my hands and dug them into his awful face. He, he tore his terrible dead flesh with my nails. His throat throbbed and panted like a furnace. Know that I am built up of death from head to foot. <laughs> it is a corpse that adores you. He breathed the last of it in almost a single exhalation. I weep for you, he said. I weep for you who have torn off my mask and can never leave me. I shall keep you here. You wished to see. When my own father never saw me, when my own mother, so as not to see me, made me a present of my first mask, you wished to see. See! Feast your eyes. Glut your soul on my accursed ugliness. I am death, Christine Dei. And you shall never again see the sun. 
He let go of me at last and fell to the floor and dragged himself about uttering terrible curses. Then he he crawled away like a snake into his room and closed the door, and I heard the sound of the organ of his Don Juan triumphant, for he had rushed to his masterpiece to forget the horror of the moment. And then, Raoul, I began to understand his contempt for the music above the earth, for what I heard now was unlike any music I have ever heard, that you have ever heard. It seemed to me at first one long, awful, magnificent sob, but little by little it expressed every emotion, every suffering of which mankind is capable. It intoxicated me, and I opened the door that separated us. The music ceased. Eric rose. He dared not turn in my direction. Eric, show me your face. He turned round and fell at my feet, moaning. He kissed the hem of my dress with his dead mouth. He did not see that I closed my eyes. And from the narrative of the Persian, a note, Daroga is Persian for chief of police. The Persian's narrative runs thus. In my country, he was known by a name which means trapdoor lover. Every house he built was a house of the very devil. Places where every word was overheard or repeated by an echo. Eric. He was responsible for endless tragedies and astonishing inventions. In the Sultan's palace in my country, no one was let into a room Eric had built, save for wretches condemned to death. He commanded walls, doors, trap doors. They obeyed him because he built them. He was a monster, a real monster. And yet he was a child, Eric, Eric, I followed him to Paris, and once, only once, when I first learned he had taken up a permanent abode in the vast cellars beneath the opera, I tried to enter his secret house, the house encased in the great double walls of the foundation by the vast underground lake. It was an attempt which was nearly fatal to me. 
I had followed him down to the third level of the cellars. The darkness was too thick to enable me to see how he worked the door in the wall. When he was inside, and I knew I was alone, I stepped into a boat and floated out onto the dark lake toward the wall through which I had seen him disappear. I had no sooner put off from the bank than the silence of the water was disturbed by a sort of whispered singing, half breath, half music. It rose softly from the waters of the lake. I was surrounded by it. It followed me. It moved with me. It was so soft. The lake was perfectly calm. My lantern showed me its surface, smooth and black as ink. I leaned out further and further until I almost overturned the boat. And suddenly, two monstrous arms issued from the bosom of the waters and seized me by the neck, dragging me down to the depths with irresistible force. I should certainly have been lost if I had not had time to just give a cry, Eric, by which he knew me. And instead of drowning me, he swam with me and laid me gently upon the bank and said, Daroga. How rude you are. You try to enter my house? I have not invited you. His hands were still on my neck. I knew my Eric too well to feel comfortable. He had lived in many strange places and had acquired an incredible skill in the art of strangulation. I saved your life, Eric, I said. Remember that. But for me, you would be dead now. And did you save my life only to make it unbearable? With this, he helped me to my feet. However great the service you rendered him, Eric may end by forgetting it. And you know that nothing can restrain Eric. Eric, I said, tell me the trick. The trick of the siren, the voice, and the water. It is quite splendid. He laughed, let go of my neck and satisfied my curiosity. Eric is, like regular children, vain and self-conceited, and there is nothing he loves so much after astonishing people as to prove the miraculous ingenuity of his mind by boasting. <laughs> it is a trick I learned from the Tonkin pirates, he said. Mm. A trick that nearly killed me. You know what you promised me. No more murders. Oh, Doroka, have I committed murders? Have you forgotten the palace of the Mansadaran? Yes, I have forgotten it, Doroka. I prefer to forget. I prefer to forget all that belongs to the past. Ah, but there is the present, Eric, and you are responsible to me for the present, because if I had wished, there would be no present for you at all, hmm? Eric's secrets concern no one but Eric. I know. I know, my boy. I know you. And you, me. 
and now he was silent. Eric, tell me. What? The chandelier, Eric. What about the chandelier? You know what I mean. Oh, well, I don't mind telling you about the chandelier at all, Daroga. The chandelier was very old, very old and very worn, very dangerous, you see. The chandelier, it fell. It wasn't I. It, it, it fell of its own. Hmm. And Christine Dei, Eric? My dear Daroga, you had best go dry yourself before you catch a cold in your head. Never enter my boat again. And whatever you do, do not try to enter my home. I am not always there. And I should hate to have to sing a requiem mass for you. And so, singing, he jumped into the boat, laughing so horribly that I could not help trembling, for when Eric laughed it was worse than when he did not, and swinging to and fro like a monkey and still laughing he pushed off. As his voice faded, I thought of a child, a subject of horror and terror to his own parents, touring the fairs where showmen exhibited him as the living corpse, a boy displaying himself to strangers in all his hideous glory, crossing the whole of Europe from fair to fair, completing his strange education. I have prayed over his mortal remains that God might show him mercy, notwithstanding his crimes. Yes, I am quite sure that I prayed beside his body the other day, when they took from the spot by the lake beneath the opera where they were burying some phonographic records a skeleton. It was his. I did not recognize it by the ugliness of his head, for all men are ugly when they have been dead as long as that, but by the plain gold ring which he wore, and which Christine Day must have slipped on his finger when she came to bury him, in accordance with her promise. I wonder, what will they do with that skeleton? Surely not bury it in a common grave. It is no ordinary skeleton. I wonder, I wonder if you passed along the street and 
stood over the place where that skeleton was found. If, if you stood there on some still midnight and you listened very carefully, I, I wonder if you could hear just the faintest echo of a voice way down below. Foca, foca, me, foca, me, combine, <laughs> Well, I suppose you can hear all kinds of things at night, can't you? If you just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. It's time for sleep now. Your eyelids are heavy, heavier, heaviest. Time for what dreams may come. The books are all back on the shelves. The silver rim of the moon is peeking out from behind the slightest whisper of a mist through that great east wall window shining down onto the stone floor of this ancient place and shining down on you, my friend, there in your place of rest. an old library keeper in an old library on the edge of a precipice, on the edge of a forest, on the edge of the world, wishes you pleasant dreams. Say good night to the monsters for me. And maybe, just maybe, Say a prayer for them every now and then. Hmm? You sleep well. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere. And in someone's soul. Good night.